Welcome to Mark's Music Loft. So this is the jazz episode. All right, let's do this. So you're going to hear me talk about jazz at various points. I just want to touch on, for people that necessarily don't love jazz, don't care about jazz, or it's just not part of their world, I just want to be clear on something. I didn't, wasn't born into jazz, okay? I didn't have any jazz musicians in my family. It wasn't playing in the house all the time. Like all the wonderful stuff you hear musicians say, it, it just never really happened. I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, meaning I was, you know, in my single digits in the 70s, and I was a teenager uh, going to high school and then starting college in the 80s. And in that time frame, you got to realize jazz had a bad patch at that time. It was a lot of musicians just not even recording, not on labels. Even the labels that were jazz labels at the time weren't doing well. And a lot of uh, musicians changed what they were doing to fit in with the mainstream. Hence the rise of commercial jazz, pop jazz, things that from elevator music to on hold music to whatever. Um, and I want to say, I don't want to kick that music too much in the shin because there's not enough there to kick. I'm just saying people might have sold jazz at the time, but the, the true musicians, when I say true, meaning they were creative musicians, improvisers, composers, uh, makers of music of a considerable worth, they weren't getting the spotlight shined on them unless they made some type of change to get noticed. Not really a shock. So for me in the 80s, I went to record stores that were like maybe some used records, but nobody was really guiding. There was no internet. Uh, I just kind of felt my way through music. But the way I felt my way to jazz was through rock music. Need to be clear on that. I had no magic path. So in terms of rock music, when someone is soloing either on a guitar or keyboards, bass, drums, sometimes they'll go long form and maybe you like that and maybe you don't, but it draws you in or it doesn't. For me, it did. So if things either of a classic rock, a progressive rock nature, whether it be the passages like in The Who for Won't Get Fooled Again, or the middle of, let's say, Abacab and Genesis, where people start jamming on keyboard and guitar, I mean, you could either get lost in that or you like it or you don't. You'll know that from listening to this, but for me, it drew me in and I started to pay more attention example of someone like so say carlos santana who started to make more let's say commercial music in the early 80s i started to pay attention to other things he did so i started buying records and then i found this album with him and john mclaughlin probably john mclaughlin probably one of the greatest guitar players of all time ever very much a jazz let's say jazz rock fusion guitar player I didn't really know tons about him. I put on the album Love, Devotion, and Surrender by Carlos Santana and John McLaughlin and it really blew my brains out. He had both of these guys in both speakers playing. There was not a, It wasn't really a singing album by any means, but there was some vocal sets, and the vocal sets were based on, let's say, A Love Supreme uh, by John Coltrane. And it was... Uh, it was very interesting to me to hear that kind of an, an album at the time and say, wow, these guys are playing for long periods of time. And it sounded so fascinating to me that I just wanted to hear more. So someone like Santana, when I looked at that, I saw on the writing credits, it said John Coltrane. I was like, who the hell is John Coltrane? I didn't know. Uh, and then the, you start to look up stuff and, and you start to get a little more of an idea on, on what John Coltrane, who was one of the greatest tenor saxophone players of all time, 
I, I probably only came more into him when I finally got a bass guitar and I asked a bass teacher when I was like 15 or 16. There's another, there's a misnomer about jazz that you have to play music to understand complex music. That's nonsense. Absolute BS. If you have a brain, you can figure it out. Don't ever shortchange your brain for the things that teachers in schools are banging you on the head about, or just things that you can take in because you really are smart. You might not allow yourself to be that in some areas like we all do. We're just kind of closed-minded at points. We get in our comfort zone and we shut out a lot of music. So jazz wasn't something I was interested in uh, so much. When I saw it in the 80s, when I was thinking like, why don't I get in a rock? The police were big, Rush were big. You know, I was a teenager. I was thinking, you know, hey, girls are cool. Um, you know, music could be cool. Hanging out is cool. I saw jazz as, you know, some guy in a turtleneck with a wine glass walking around a dinner party saying he's interesting or some guy in dark sunglasses, you know, saying he was deep. You know, this is the nonsense stereotypes that get thrown out there. Probably had nothing to do with uh, what I eventually thought I found in jazz. So in someone like Sting, for instance, and I was just mentioning the police, a lot of his root notes, when you look at the way he plays bass or, or his approach to music, he's a jazz bass player and he was from a jazz background and I, it was brought to my attention and I've heard him do some things obviously related to jazz and that was later in the course, but I think for people that I respected um, that had any connection to jazz, what was brought to my attention was the fact that there is a freedom in jazz. You're not constricted to all commercial elements or production elements. And because if you pick up a jazz magazine, a downbeat magazine from, I don't care if it's 1949, 1959, 1965, any of those issues are going to tell you that jazz is a struggling mu music. And there's some notion that, oh, gee, wouldn't it be great if the government funded it or, you know, if companies would wake up or people would wake up and listen to it. You know what? Never happens never happened it's a music that does well enough when enough people pay attention at points and that's the best you can expect but what i would say i'd want people to take from jazz is the freedom of jazz the people doing what they want in jazz i trust me i believe it's harder to write a five minute pop song than it is to improvise at points but i can't tell you to dismiss improvisation or composition just because that could be a fact. So there are people that can create mountains of tapestries through improvisation and composition. There's a ton of, and I'll, I'll mention a few, but I'm just trying to get your head in the space of going outside the comfort zone of a five-minute song with something you're snapping your fingers to. Why would you even be interested in it? I'm going to tell you possibly curiosity of the mind that you may or may not be familiar with. The same thing that makes you walk down an aisle for a particular book or magazine or change a channel and for no reason you accidentally leave something on and then you discover a new subject matter same with jazz jazz's connection to an interest in life based on that i think you can discover patience you didn't even know you had instrumental music i mean instrumental music in general is a challenge for people to get their hands on so if you just jump to something like classical which you know deserves its own appreciation people struggle and then in jazz, it's not different. People struggle with just hearing, let's say, no vocals. I'm not. There's a ton of vocal jazz. I'm probably not the guy to lecture to you on vocal jazz. But I would say there's a place for that if you like it. If you want jazz where people are just improvising and expanding uh, the range, 
then you're going to find more instrumentalists. So I'm going to say stop shortchanging yourself. If you think uh, you meet people that are like, I'm not a Grateful Dead guy, but people that love the Grateful Dead claim they love all these expanded jams and, and we're supposed to find the meaning of the universe in those jams. Why the hell can't they settle the patience to listen to jazz? Hey, many do. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying there's a double standard in when I hear people accept in other forms of improvisation or long form music. And they cut it short when it gets to the harmonic elements of jazz music. So I'd say you can expand your listening range. You just have to provide the opportunity to enjoy. And providing the opportunity is just simply listening and then make your own observations. It's easier now than it was for when I was a teenager. So with a little to minimal, no effort, what can you do? You can easily just go put on WBGO. You can put it on online or radio. I'm, I'm doing this podcast from New York, so I can get it. Or if you're in New Jersey, you can get WBGO online. WKCR has various programming. That gets into the more heavier jazz, the more avant-garde jazz, and, and they have a lot of different programming. There's a ton of jazz stations you can get to. I'm just going to caution. I recommend people go towards... When I say more traditional jazz or creative jazz, I'll call it, because you can get a lot of modern jazz that's been made, you know, in the past 20, 30 years. That's great. It's your own palette that's going to figure out what's blatantly commercial and can get a bit boring. That's all I'm saying. If on hold music makes you boring, then you're going to find the same limitations with a lot of commercial jazz. No disrespect to what they're trying to do or the people that love it, but I hope you get what I'm saying. So... In terms of song form, start start easy in jazz if you need to. You know, go for the songs that represent a hat rack to you as opposed to the abstract. Uh, I can tell you to go listen to, you know, Miles Davis. I can tell, you know, you can find, you can go find Kind of Blue. Easy enough as a, a North Star in jazz, as anyone will tell you. But you can make it easier on yourself. You can go get Roundabout Midnight, right from the 50s, which is classic quintet. Learn about standards before you even have to get to the, the ranges of a kind of blue. Go to an album like Milestones, right? I mean, these are more straight ahead, hard bop and traditional jazz that you can take under your wing and go from there into his 1960s albums like Sketches of Spain, uh, which is a bit orchestrated by uh, Gil Evans. You can get into his quintet in the 50s with Herbie Hancock, Wayne Shorter, Tony Williams, and Ron Carter. Uh, Take an album like Miles Smiles. You move into Miles Davis's Electric Period. You can listen to Bitches Brew, a double album with an all-star cast of, I'll say, jazz and fusion musicians, people that formed their own groups, people like Chick Corea, people like John McLaughlin, like Wayne Shorter, like Joe Zawinul, who all went off to form their own bands. I'm throwing these names and albums out there just so you can get a clue, Google them, go listen to them on whatever format you feel comfortable listening to them on. So whether that's a Spotify or a Pandora or, hey, go go look it up, go buy it, whatever, download it, however you get it, be helpful. But uh, there's a lot of record labels you can look up too related to jazz. They'll have enough of this stuff that are famous jazz labels. So whether that be Blue Note, Verve, Impulse, European label like ECM Records actually tends to be my favorite. Not because it's the first one I ever knew, not because it's better than any of the other ones, because I think it's the one keeping jazz the most synthesized and alive. It's a European label run out of Munich by a guy named Manfred Eicher. That label has 
began taking, uh, you know, someone like Mal Waldron, an American jazz musician, and giving them a place to work and put out music when part of the American market even gave up on them. So ECM is a really an album that, that takes different countries. It takes different kinds of music. It takes not just jazz, not from the blues tradition and more from the, let's say, classic and folk tradition and shows you what, what people have done with that type of music, like a Jan Gaborak or a Terry Riptal. I don't need to rattle off a million names, but go look up ECM Records. It's a favorite label for me, again, because it went far beyond what any labels have done. And the production is just masterful. So give a listen. Keith Jarrett being a, a big name on that label as well. There are uh, jazz rock labels, and I don't need to go through all of them now, but one of my favorite, Moonjoon Records, which is run by a friend of mine, Leonardo Pavkovic. Moonjoon named uh, from the band Soft Machines song Moon in June. Give it a listen. It takes a touch of jazz and improvisation on another level. Uh, Cuneiform, another label run out of uh, Maryland, is a, a label that, that touches more on not just traditional jazz, but also jazz rock and other advances uh, in people that have taken the art form to different levels. But Give a listen. I don't want to overload in the podcast. What I want you to walk away from the podcast with today is getting a touch on why the hell should I listen to jazz, period. And I'll leave you with a few more albums at the end of it. But going back to what I said on rock, if you're listening to this right now and you still can't care about one word I'm saying and you still are married to the music you listen to, I'll just give you a few more riffs. So if you read the uh, P. Townsend Biography, Pete Townsend from The Who, of course, he really mentions falling in love with Keith Jarrett's music. Keith Jarrett, the piano player, uh, who has a strong body of music on ECM, used to play for Charles Lloyd, used to play for Miles Davis. L- listen to what Pete's talking about, unless you're going to call Pete Townsend an idiot. And if you're going to do that, you don't need to listen to this podcast. Keith Richards, Mr. Guitar Player from Rolling Stones himself, you check out the thing he did on Netflix, and he li- of course he's going to list his blues influences, but he mentions Jim Hall, one of the strongest late jazz guitar players of all time. I-, I had the pleasure of meeting him once, great guy, but it was really hard for me to listen to a guy like Jim Hall. I needed some excitement in my music. I needed fireworks, so I was always drawn to fusion or jazz rock. The time it took me to listen to a Jim Hall and how clean he plays and how he can fit into either a duet setting or a trio setting seriously showed me who he was. Back on Keith Richards, if you look at uh, the album Tattoo You and Waiting on a Friend, Sonny Rollins, the saxophone player, that's the first I heard of him. I didn't even know his name. I, I, I found out and I, they said he was a jazz sax player on a Stone song. He is a mountain of music, um, as known by his album, Saxophone Colossus. Give that a listen. I know that Keith Richards also had Wayne Shorter play um, on another recording uh, in his later career. He's t- he's tuned in in his own way to jazz through a different channel. Just give it a shot. On the, you know, I was growing up, everyone's psycho about Black Sabbath and Paranoid. Who isn't? But, ever, but when you listen to Planet Caravan, that is blatant guitar riffs coming right from the, uh, you know, not just Jim Hall tradition, but the Kenny Perel tradition. Uh, any jazz guitar player from from that area, uh, Grant Green, any of that type of, of level, 
Barney Kessel. That's what Tony Iommi is channeling on that song. They like it. If you listen to watch any special on the album, they're saying they want people to relax and chill out and space out to the song. That's that's a, a good, just a good taking in of jazz right into heavy metal, right at the cortex. If you look at, I'll just jump around. Let's say the '90s. Everyone went nuts for Portishead, the album Dummy. I love the album. It's got tons of jazz samples in it, particularly Weather Report. Weather Report is uh, Joe Zawinul's band, the keyboard player for Miles Davis's classic group in the late '60s from Bitches Brew, and in a silent way, he made uh, some great music. And a band like Portishead, very clever to pick up on the things that they sample. So give that a give that a listen, and maybe a, a new light. Uh, a band like Wilco, everybody's nuts for Wilco, and then they look at them as you know, a Midwest, let's say, American alternative group. But you know what? They recruited Nels Klein back in the uh, earlier part of the 2000s as their lead guitar player. And they want to bring something else into the group. Nels Klein, primarily a jazz guitar player. He's a West Coast guy. He's not uh, dripping in, in traditional jazz. He's got a bit of the, you know, the the feedback and the frenzy, and yet he's got his own unique style and his voicings and the types of guitars that he even uses, and he brings that into Wilco, and it seems to work great. I've met him maybe two, three times, and uh, he told me that he likes the way Wilco is a home for him to do songcraft while he fin- funds the rest of his jazz career. So that's something to think about. Take David Bowie, uh, his last album. If you look at uh, what he did with the jazz group, he every musician on that last album is Black Star. That all of them are jazz musicians. I, I used to, I used to go to a gig where I saw all those guys play. I had no idea they were going to play for Bowie. So the minute I heard the names, um, you know, Danny McCa- Danny McCoslin, the uh, sax player, and some of the other guys. I was so blown away by what he put together as far as the last album goes. He tracked these guys down. He just wanted something a little more flexible than any type of just, you know, rock guys. No insult to the rock guys, but he wanted that flexibility and he got it. And they were more than happy to work with him. Uh, Another jump. Look at like Metallica. Look at that bass player, Rob Trujillo. Uh, You know what? Great bass player. I was so thrilled to see the fact that he funded a film on great jazz fretless bass player Jaco Pistorius. The movie is called Jaco. I really recommend you see it. He funded it with uh, a lot of great clips about Jaco, but also um, some of the rock acts that Jaco. So Jaco Pistorius is a jazz bass player who came up in the early 70s, played with Weather Report. Played with other people outside of jazz, like Ian Hunter. Uh, also played with Joni Mitchell. And outside of Weather Report, eventually went uh, further into his own solo career. And I think a guy like Rob Trujillo took all the time in the world because he wanted to tell the story of how great a bass player Jocko was and how great of an asset he was to bass playing in jazz. The guy's an evangelist, and they show a scene where he plays... In Yankee Stadium, he plays Jaco Pistorius's fretless bass that he had purchased. I thought that was a really special moment. You're going to find many special, let's say, jazz moments in rock, in other music. I can touch on other kinds of music, but then this is the longest podcast I ever did. So if I take a tribe called Quest back in the early 90s, 
One of the things that made that special was the inclusion of bass player Ron Carter. Ron Carter was a primary acoustic bass player for Miles Davis. He's been in over 500 jazz recordings. They trusted him to be in that music, fill that music out, and add an element that they were looking for and didn't have. This type of stuff is everywhere. I, this Again, I could do another podcast on this. I probably will add to this, maybe do another uh, chapter in the episode, or just do another episode. I'm just trying to get your mind thinking about this stuff so you can go listen. Okay, on promises of, of things to listen to. I, I ran down some Miles Davis stuff for you. Off the top of my head, with no cue sheet, because I don't need one, I'll tell you just maybe some things you want to check out without the overload. Uh, I mentioned Sonny Rollins before on uh, the Rolling Stones album, uh, Tattoo You. Check out Saxophone Colossus. It's a classic quartet album that he did uh, in the late 50s. It's wonderful. Listen to either Volume 1 or Volume 2 of A Night at the, uh, Night at the Village Vanguard. He's got two of them with uh, drummer Elvin Jones, who would later go to uh, join John Coltrane. Speaking of John Coltrane, listen to A Love Supreme as a masterpiece. But you know what? To make it easier on your ears, start with Blue Train by John Coltrane, because that's a hard, hard bop classic that was recorded in the 50s. Going into the latest 50s into 60, uh, listen to Giant Steps by John Coltrane. It's not terribly difficult to listen to. It's when he decided to challenge himself, his music just got more challenging and also more interesting. Besides a Love Supreme fitting that bill, I would say check out Sunship and uh, at your own pace, whether you can pick up the later part of his career, please do so. But that's enough on Joan Coltrane to listen to. I also mentioned Wayne Shorter. Wayne Shorter, a great saxoph- tenor saxophone player who uh, had played with Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. But that ended up a major, major composer and player with Miles Davis from his acoustic period to his electric period. There's a ton of Wayne Shorter. Look up anything from Wayne Shorter from the 1960s on Blue Note. You'll be happy. Look up anything Wayne Shorter's done, let's say, in the past 20 years, and you'll be happy. He released uh, a triple album uh, last fall called Eminon, which is his quartet that he's used for 20 years and also with uh, an orchestra. Get an idea of what he's like as a composer and a player and a band leader. He's a triple threat, but he's not a hard player. He will not rip your eardrums out. I got other guys to tell you about who can do that easy enough, and I will get to them. Um, On British Jazz Rock, check out Soft Machine. Soft Machine, I would say one of the most important bands of the late 60s into the 70s as they moved more into jazz fusion They began shoulder to shoulder with groups like Pink Floyd, had the same type of respect level. And when they moved more into the jazz rock realm, they challenged uh, a lot of different boundaries. Start with the album Third. I'll make it easy. I don't need to go into all the other albums. Check out Third. That is a double album uh, of the quartet in full force. Came out alongside of other albums in the same time period like Bitches Brew. On guitar players, and I know people want to go bananas about guitar, check out somebody simple like Grant Green. Grant Green is a very clean guitar player who died well before his time in 1979. Check out the album Idle Moments. I'll just pull that one out. I didn't know who Grant Green was. I discovered Grant Green by reading an article by John McLaughlin like 30 years ago. I'm like, why does a guy who can play so many notes so fast, so well, 
Why does he care about this guy who plays such simple notes, so slow and so wide apart? It taught me something. Just pay attention. Be patient. I would tell you to do any of that stuff with jazz. Look, I gave you a bunch of stuff in one podcast just to pay attention to. I don't want you to get totally overloaded. There'll be more. I'll decide in a short period of time whether I'll just extend this podcast. But check this out for now. Give yourself the opportunity to just do some listening. And I'll put it to you like this. A few ways to do your listening. Do it while you're doing the freaking dishes if you have to. Do it while you're doing something, while you're listening outdoors or whatever. So there's a difference between active listening and passive listening. None is not not better than the other. I would say on passive listening, you can just do some stuff and play it in the background. And your mind is listening to it and you're picking stuff up. You know what? You'll know how it feels. You don't need to become a genius on this. And you don't need to know why it's great. You'll just start to pick up on it the more you listen to it. If you actively listen to it, meaning you find something, I don't care if it's John Coltrane or whoever, and you sit out and you listen to it and you're sitting in one spot and you're reading liner notes or you research or however you deep dive way you find to get into that music, then you know what? That's great. And maybe you'll have a, a different listening experience. But here's my, my simple cue from uh, this podcast on jazz is just listen, just get onto it, just put on something. If you want to be a generalist and walk around and go, duh, I don't know a lot about jazz, it's just because you didn't listen. I didn't eat sushi till I was 25. Why? Because I just never freaking ate it. Um, there's a lot of things we don't do. I didn't get a passport till I was like 24. Why? Uh, you know, you meet someone and you're like, hey, I need to go to another country. Whatever. The thing I'm, t- I'm, I'm thinking about jazz for anybody listening, it's just a branch off point to stuff you don't even know it'll take you to and that's like for another podcast i can take six degrees of separation and line them up like a constellation but that's not terribly interesting to hear some guy just babble on about it just give you such a chance to listen to some music and i'll i'll cover more jazz in general in some other podcasts but i will cover other kinds of music in other podcasts and it's a goal of mine to show in the podcast how all music connects My simple joy is looking at how people separate music and really show how it's connected. So you can take, let's say, Ja Wobble, bass player for Public Image Limited, the furthest thing supposedly from, let's say, jazz. He ends up producing and playing bass on an album with Evan Parker, a top British jazz avant-garde improvisational guy. How does it happen? It happens through creativity and imagination. It's not because Jao Abba learned to play his bass faster or learn more patterns. He just found a way to connect what he was doing after Public Image Limited to something he was drawn to, like different kinds of jazz. Now, a lot of jazz musicians are drawn towards rock. You'll always see crossover back and forth. Without the information, the only interest point you should take to it is how it makes you feel. And I will touch on different pieces of music in the future that... Hopefully, it'll make that case for you. I think that could be enough for now. It's the longest podcast I did so far. I did it with a point and just trying to wake you up a little bit, give you an idea of the possibilities within music itself. I'll cover a bunch of them. I want to thank you for listening now, and I look forward to talking in the future on Mark's Music Loft. Thanks so much.